When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Mike Hughes going to IR, Mike. What are you expecting at that slot position, and what's your confidence level there? Um, we will find a way. Something happened to him, I guess, in practice yesterday, and what was it? No. Playing football, that's how a key injury happened to Mike Hughes that none of us knew about until today when he was mysteriously not practicing and then placed on IR and Mike Zimmer really helping his cause and earning plenty of bonus points with everybody for uh, giving such a revealing and detailed answer to what happened to one of your key players on Sunday by just saying he got hurt playing football. So I would love to be able to tell you from being out at TCO Performance Center now why Mike Hughes is not playing, but I cannot do so because Mike Zimmer would not say. But now the Vikings are without Mike Hughes. The Vikings are without Mackenzie Alexander as they go up against the NFL's number one wide receiver. Matthew Collar, Judd Zolgad in for the first 30 minutes. Myron Metcalf's going to come by. We'll have Robert Mays. And also Sam Monson will be on the show today. So a big show as we get you ready for the Saints and Vikings. And Judd, all week long, you and I have been saying, hey, you know, uh, we, we think this can be close. We think this could be a good battle. And one of the... Little side notes was because they're healthy, that helps a lot. New Orleans is missing a couple of players on their defensive line, so that hurts them. But to have two cornerbacks be out for this game, leaving you with Trey Wayans and Xavier Rhodes to play the entire game, and presumably Jaron Curse to be your nickel cornerback, unless you find somebody else, they did bring back Marcus Sherrills today. That's that's a problem. I mean, that is a big problem. We loved the cornerback rotation. Hughes had been emerging and playing better since that Dallas game and looking like he's a pretty solid player, and he had played better than uh, Xavier Rhodes for this entire season when he's been in. And now this entire defense rests on Rhodes because, Judd, because you cannot pressure Drew Brees. It does not happen. You don't get after Drew Brees. It's not like, oh, yeah, well, we'll just hit him. You don't. He gets rid of the ball faster than anyone else in the NFL. So now this is a problem for the Vikings. Yeah, and I'm the guy that told you on Tuesday that I had come around to think to myself, you know, Judd, this notion that they're going to get 
Blown out by the Saints is probably folly because in football, if you think one thing is going to happen, the opposite happens. And then I saw this news, and I don't see how it's workable. I mean, I don't know. Curse in the big nickel when he was forced to play a lot in the second half, I believe, against the Broncos. Did a really nice job. But this is the Saints. And I don't know if you can play that package exclusively as your nickel package if you have to move Waynes inside and Holton Hill outside. I going in, I kept saying Kamara, Cook at tight end, and and Thomas. How how do you stop them, right? But now I thought that was tough when we were talking about the Vikings being at full strength. Now I really have no idea. Like, are you telling me that you think that there's even a remote possibility that Curse can play consistently there and hold up for the course of an entire football game? And and here's the other factor. There was enough pressure on Cousins and the offense going in, right, just to produce. But realistically, if you're the Vikings now, you got to look at Cousins and the boys and say, we need 40 from you probably. Like, the pressure's that high. So... I would love to go back to the, the way I was on Ventline and be somewhat optimistic, but with this news, with two guys out, I don't see how I can. It just doesn't feel. It feels folly to me to say that they have a decent chance to win when I'm thinking to myself, okay, Rhodes, Waynes, and Curse, and or Rhodes, Waynes, and Holton Hill. Yeah, and the slot corner is a different deal. Yes. It's not the same as playing outside corner. It's an entirely different position. Xavier Rhodes, when he was shadowing receivers, which I fully expect him to be shadowing Michael Thomas now with this, because if Michael Thomas goes in the slot against J. Ron Curse, or he goes in the slot against whoever the heck else they're going to have as a corner, uh, then you're just going to get slaughtered. So you're going to have to have... Xavier Rhodes follow around Michael Thomas for the entire game, which I'm not sure is a very good matchup at this point, unless, like you said, the referees are really dedicated to not calling penalties. But Thomas is at the peak of his game. He's one of the best receivers of all time to start his career. And even though Xavier Rhodes had a good time against him in the NFC Championship game, eventually Thomas still got Rhodes in the end of that game. So you're talking about a really steep battle there. And this is a team, too, that abuses the middle of the field. I mean, they use Jared Cook a ton. They're tight end. They use Alvin Kamara all the time. And uh, Eric Hendricks is going to play, but he's coming off the injury. And now you have essentially a noob playing your slot corner. I think J. Ron Kirst knows the assignments there. And he did play really well in one game that he had to be a slot corner against Green Bay. But this is a different type of battle here than what Green Bay or was bringing to the table. Or Denver was he, bringing he, to the table. He came in and played the safety Broncos. in that game. Yeah, but, but it was the Broncos game, too. Okay, so explain this to me. As a guy who's out, out there, because I'm sorry, but this also comes to a point now where we really, we're not going to be told what happened, but there has to be accountability here. As you guys discussed, and I saw Chad Graff tweeted this um, a short while ago, they didn't play anybody against the Bears who they cared about. They basically didn't. Alexander, who was on the injury report all of the week of the Bears game, basically played that entire game. And now he's too hurt to play in this game where he's absolutely key. How did we get here? 
Like, what's the excuse for, well, he was on the... In, we held everybody else out, but we didn't hold this one guy who was hurt out, who, by the way, is a very key player, and I think has had a nice, a very nice year, unless I'm wrong. Like, how did we get here? It's got to be... It's frustrating. So, if Alexander was just the first questionable player that played and got hurt, I would say, well, this is just a random bad luck thing. Somebody had to go out there in Week 17 and play slot corner, but... Even just this year, they put out Adam Thielen before he was ready. He gets hurt. Last year, they tried to do the pitch count thing with Delvin Cook. He gets hurt. And now you go into a Week 17 where you need nobody. You play all of your backups except one guy gets to start. And they could have just played the base package all game long if the score didn't matter. Of course, it didn't. They're playing no starters and starting Sean Mannion and running every play. And yet... This one guy has to go out there and play. Now, with Mike Hughes, I understood it with Hughes because you were sort of out of corners at that point. But the, there was sure. another option for the nickel corner where you could just go 1994 football and play an extra linebacker there and play Wilson and Cameron Smith and, I don't know, I'm blanking on somebody, uh, Kentrell Brothers. You could have had those three guys play and treat it like a preseason game and be fine. Alexander plays way too many snaps to be a guy that you run out there and risk. And the fact that he was on the injury report already makes you questionable. If if he wasn't, I would say, ah, oh, well, you know, these these random injuries, who knows? Yes, but he already right. had a knee injury going into that game. Right. And this is a guy who has developed into actually a pretty darn good slot corner, which is not a job you just hand off to somebody. It isn't, hey, just go run up and down the sideline with that wide receiver, you'll be fine. This is a complicated position that took Alexander several years to be able to get down, to know his assignments, to know the zones, the run fits, all those things. And one thing we haven't talked about at all, because we've just said breeze, 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 is that the Saints have two good running backs. I mean, if your run fits are off because your slot corner is a guy who doesn't know the job or is not as fit for the job as Alexander is, you're going to have some problems. He, he was on the field for 562 snaps this year, looking game by game, about 40 to 50 a game. I mean, that's 80% of the game. He's a starter. He's on the field. Without a doubt. And now he's out. And the fact that yes. Hughes was his backup. And you would trust Hughes in the slot because when he first came in as a rookie, that was the position he learned. He was rotating all of camp his first year as a rookie. And then I talked to Hughes just last week about learning both positions and what it's meant to his knowledge of the game. And then he's mysteriously out, too, with a neck injury. And he played that game as well in Week 17. Now you're looking at being in a very, very difficult position to try and stop one of the league's best passing games. And Drew Brees, who comes in his last four games, has a 137 quarterback rating. It's damn near impossible, right? Am I miss? I mean, if this was at U.S. Bank Stadium, I would say nothing is impossible at U.S. Bank Stadium. Okay. Not being at U.S. Bank Stadium, wow. I don't, the I don't only, see how you do this. The only way I would look at it is just a little bit through the lens of Las Vegas. I mean, I, I don't talk about gambling a lot, but I remember somebody writing about this, how one player or even two players at any position except for quarterback are not going to move the needle on what Vegas thinks of a game. So a lot of times we overstate what some injuries mean. But in this case, I don't think we are. If it was just Alexander, I would say, well, you're in tough now because it's going to be hard to rotate those corners. Right. And that was the that was the solution. Right. That was the antidote to 
Xavier Rhodes and his issues with injuries that have slowed him down for this year and a big chunk of last year was, hey, but if you can only play him 45 or 50 snaps and and Rhodes can come out and in and Hughes can help him out, well, then you'll be okay. But now you lost the guy that was supposed to be the guy helping your guy. And now you're done to Holton Hill. It's a really tough spot. Who you don't trust. I think that Holton Hill is a good player and would no, be fine, Mike but he's not. He doesn't play this position. Yeah, he's not really relevant but to coach the quarterback conversation because he can't play inside. Coach doesn't really like to play him. I, I don't. I just don't understand the the fact that you played Alexander, who's been who, by the way, has been so solid to me that we have not talked about him. No, much. not like at he's, all. But but that's that's a credit to him. Because we've talked about Wayne's fall off and Rhodes going off the yeah, cliff. Yeah, he's been solid. We've talked, we haven't talked about this guy who, who, as a pick for a couple of years, was a definite disappointment, disappointed the entire franchise, learned this spot, which, to your point, is a, is a hybrid spot. You don't just take some guy and say, okay, you go do this now. And while you're sitting everybody else against the Bears, you basically say, ah, oh, you're fine. Play. You could have signed Marcus Sherrill's last week. Put him on your active roster and said, Marcus, go play the slot corner. If you get beat, we don't care. Yeah. They signed him today. Like, that was the answer. This is not hard. And instead, what you've done, and the one thing where if we go back to what you brought up about Vegas and the gambling line comes into play is the quarterback does make the difference. And now you're talking about Drew Brees going against a Viking cornerback rotation or cornerbacks that is has gone from... What we consider probably to be shaky, but okay. Here's here's what you do to succeed potentially, mm-hmm. potentially to. Oh no, you're really screwed. I want to show you my computer. What I'm looking at right now. I'm just going to point to it, right there. That is where Mackenzie Alexander ranks as a tackler in the NFL. Wow, that is the fourth best by Boy. Pro Football Focus as a tackler. Yeah. So talking about the the run game and how well he's fit in, and that's something they loved about him coming out of the draft was his toughness, his tackling ability is not a big guy. All of a sudden, the outside runs become, or is that going to be a problem with Alvin Kamara because you're trying to fill in somebody else? And now if you're going to ask J. Ron Curse to play an entire game in nickel corner, J. Ron Curse is a good Good tackler, and he's a, a talented player that I've liked really since his rookie year in terms of his physical skills. Mm-hmm. And at times, it's come to fruition this year, the Denver game being the most notable of those times where he slowed down Noah Fant on that last drive, made a couple of key plays. But you're talking about a guy who has only played a handful of snaps all season. At the slot corner, he did in week one and two play 36 and 29 snaps. In week one and two. Yep. And uh, their defense was uh, really good in week one and not great in week two. They gave up 21 points right off the bat, and then the Packers got extremely conservative. But since then, one week, week six, he had 16 snaps in the slot and basically nothing since. It's been a very long time since he had to and fill in the And what's the Michael spot. Thomas plan now? I think it's always been that Rhodes is going to track him. Woo-hoo. But I mean, having a guy like J. Ron Curse is important. But it, it's it's the slot corner not having the quickness and the tackling ability of Alexander. But then it's also the rotation. It really hits you on those two different fronts, right? Because not being able to work in Mike Hughes over what are, what are you going to take like sixty five snaps or something like that in a game, and he could have taken a good twenty five out of Rhodes's hands if he wanted to. 
I mean, just looking at since the cornerback rotation started, 28 snaps, 39 snaps, and 46 snaps for Mike Hughes. So he's playing a lot. And he was filling in for Waynes at times, too. And yep. Trey Waynes has not been good this year. It's, yeah. No, it's a, huge, both have not it's been a good. huge, huge blow. What's the tension like right now? Unreal. Unreal. I mean, Mike Zimmer would not answer any questions today. Even about even about Eric Kendricks. He had to be dragged to ask about Kendricks making All-Pro, which LOL Pro Bowl. I oh, mean, yeah, really? yeah. Yeah, and you knew that was going to yes, happen. But what's the, so but, it's off but, the charts? Uh, absolutely. I mean, you have the owner yesterday's practice walking around the practice field, just talking to players and warm-ups and everything else, really making his presence known. I thought that was notable. I've never seen that before. I don't know if you did when you were covering the team, if you saw owners walking out on the practice field. Extremely rare. Extremely rare. And I thought, and he was even, Ziggy was even standing around for press conferences. And I was like, wow, this is something I have not seen. Yeah, that's observational. I wonder if he's just making everybody know that he's watching. And my understanding from this week of practice is that they've been really pushing him extremely hard, which I'm not sure is always the right way to go about it. Could your guy hurt? Which might have happened if only Mike Zimmer would tell us the truth about that, but I guess he's not going to. Uh, so the tension, I mean, you turn on the TV right now. Go to ESPN.com, look on, on anywhere, and you're going to see Mike Zimmer being talked about to Dallas, which I've heard through people is a, definitely a real thing, and I tweeted that last night. What, do you have like something? This? I think it'll be interesting to watch what happens with Mike Zimmer, the Vikings head coach. And I do not think necessarily that it would be a situation where the Vikings would want to move on. But Mike Zimmer is a coach that Jerry Jones thinks very highly of. And we've seen in the past teams be able to work out deals where maybe you, you go ahead and make a trade, trade a pick, get the coach out of his contract. So I would look out for that if the Vikings were to lose to the Saints on Sunday, which I think a lot of people expect. And everybody knows it. Everybody there knows it. If I'm guessing that if you're in that front office right now, you're calling your friends in the league and you're saying, "So what? What do you, what do you guys? What do you guys got going on?" Yeah. And things like that. You yeah. know? I mean, the, if you're, I mean, if you're in any position that could go, if if you're George Edwards, you're probably like, "Man, if we give up 42, I know I'm toast." Mm-hmm. And, and other people on that staff, everybody's thinking the same thing. And here's the, but here's the crazy deal about this. Mm-hmm. There's only one guy, and it's not Delvin Cook. There is one guy who looked very tense the other day, by the way. One guy who can change all of this, and one guy who can keep everybody in their place, and that is Kirk Cousins. He could keep himself in his place by having a great performance. They will not win by just handing the ball off and beating the New Orleans Saints. It's not going to happen. Correct. Checkdowns to Dalvin Cook are wonderful, and I love them, but you don't win a football game by checking down to your running back a bunch of times. You're going to win a football game by your quarterback going to New Orleans against a defense that's just okay. It's not great. It's just okay. And playing the game of your life in New Orleans, which Kirk actually did in 2017, played extremely, extremely well at the Dome. Not the same as the playoffs, but still played really well mm-hmm. against New Orleans at the Dome. That's that's it, because if he doesn't play well, I am now feeling, I started the week like, I don't know about all this, 
by now, I'm feeling like, yeah, this is about to blow up. But that dials up the pressure because internally there have to be a lot of people with that team that know it's a long shot. Like there's nothing, there's there's not enough from Kirk's past to say Kirk's got it. Like there might be some guys where you'd say, we are in a bind, but guess what? We've got so-and-so at quarterback, right? We got Tom Brady or we got Breeze or go down a list of QBs who you've trusted and think to yourself, he gives us a shot. If you're Stefan Diggs, Thielen, Rudolph, Zimmer, Mackenzie Alexander, you ain't going to play, but you're going to watch the game. You know, who on earth is thinking, well, you know what? We got Kirk. Oh, everybody's thinking the same exact thing. But Everyone. that's what I'm saying. That, di- that makes that pressure that much worse be- because until Kirk proves them all wrong, yep. they're walking into a trap. And I've been looking at how New Orleans' defense performed against different offenses. There is one reason a few weeks ago to feel pretty good uh, when the San Francisco 49ers put 48 on them at the Dome, which is really, really impressive. Mm -hmm. But they played a similar sort of play-action rollout uh, offense in Tennessee, and they sacked the heck out of Ryan Tannehill. And Tannehill, I thought in that game, played actually really well and still lost by 10 to the New Orleans Saints. And... You know they've played some other teams with good offenses that have done really nothing to them. If I mean Dallas scored ten against them at their place in a win for New Orleans when Teddy Bridgewater was starting, the Rams scored. Uh, well, the Rams actually scored twenty seven against them, so that was actually a good game for for the Rams. But there are uh, not as many reasons for sure to think that there's the path to victory as we were talking about yesterday as there would have been. Um, and, and just because of these two players going out. And sure. then you, you mentioned the, the tension. Everybody's thinking the same thing, that if Kirk Cousins comes out and looks really good right away and leads a touchdown drive, you've got a chance, you're in, all right, this could be a ball game, and everybody could settle down and stop thinking about their futures for a minute. But the second it goes wrong, and everybody knows this, the second it goes wrong, they do not have the leader under center to go over and get everybody back on the same page and get everybody going and everything like that that we see from the great quarterbacks. The great quarterbacks can play horribly for the whole game and be losing and throw three picks and be like, let's go, let's go win this game and still have a shot to do it. That is not your quarterback. What did Russell Wilson the other day throw for like 40 yards in the first half? He looked awful, looked like he going to have no chance. 49ers, yeah. And then he's... Six inches from you know winning that game against the 49ers. Well, that is not the quarterback you have. So I you know, I think it really depends on how this game starts mm-hmm. and can Kirk Cousins calm everybody down, including Zimmer. Because if not, then we're going to see what we saw last year in like week 17 or what we saw last year in Seattle or a number of games. I mean, Kansas City, where it's not just Kirk, but it's other people too responding to the quarterback and responding to the amount of anxiety and pressure that is on this team. And right that now. faith can't be there. It just it can't be. And the problem too is we talked about all week long. Okay, if the offense, if Kirk can play well, he plays well. Defensively, the game plan is just outstanding. Vikings perspective, they hold him to twenty. Right? Let's say they hold him to twenty. Vikings score twenty seven. Get a big win, and we all say that is a great game plan. That was awesome. But now you are literally sitting down with Cousins and the offense and saying, as I said before, we need you to score 44 points. Like you can't you can't think that the defense the Vikings are is going to are going to put on the field on Sunday can stop the Saints consistently. You just can't. I don't care if it's 
Zim is your head coach, Parcells, Lombardi, I don't care. When you're starting a secondary and corners that are this depleted and questionable against these guys and Drew Brees and Kendricks is playing but probably gimpy or not, you know, certainly not 100% or close, you have to rely on your offense to come up huge. And there's nothing from that offense that tells me, well, you, the old Kirk, we might need to win some games 52-50. Okay, good luck yeah. against well, the Saints. This is your chance, In a friend. playoff game, dude. So here's the issue with this defense, is that their overall numbers are decent, and I've brought it up all week. They're fifth in total defense. Yes. It's pretty hard to say that you had a horrible defense when you're fifth in points, which there's a lot of other stats. That's kind of the most important one, is mm-hmm. how many points you allow to go up on the board. However, when you look at when this Vikings defense played good quarterbacks, we agree Carson Wentz is a good quarterback, right? Yes. 400 total yards. We agree Matt Stafford's a good quarterback. 433 yards. We agree that Dak Prescott is good. 443 yards. We agree Russell Wilson is good. 444. And then even Aaron Rodgers, even though they struggled at times, that Green Bay offense, 383 yards. In all games that were fairly close and competitive that wouldn't be thrown off by the score of the game or something. Sure. That does not give you a ton of confidence for what can happen here, especially without two players who I consider both to be quite good. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing to me. You can't... Xavier Rhodes shadowing Thomas the entire game in 2020 positively, if I'm a Vikings fan, scares me. It should. 17? Hey, bring it on. It's going to be great. 2020, no way. Myron's coming on next. I I know what you think of the game, and mm-hmm. I know that you've adjusted it within the last couple hours I because keep of adjusting this. adjusting it, yes. Let me ask you this, though. What if they do win? How awkward is all of this? It's all going to feel so strange because we just spent the whole week talking about firing everybody, and everybody at that building knows that everyone talked all week about where Zimmer's going to end up and wh- whether they're signing Cousins and all that stuff and how Cousins can't win. I think if they win, they're all going to look around and go, well, now what do we do? Yeah, starting with the coach, possibly. I'm really curious to know more about the tension and what's going on between the Wilfs and Zimmer and Spielman, too. There's a there's a lot of fire here right now, and, and, this and that's been, what I'm that's what I'm curious about. And is this just a, it's been six years and, and we're all tired of each other? Is this something happened that we don't know about? Is this the Packer loss infuriated the Wilfs? I think that that's there's part a of lot it. more going on no, here but, than we know. But this has been hanging around since last year. I think the Wilfs heavily considered pushing Zimmer out after last year after they missed the playoffs and the debacle with DeFilippo. I think that they strongly considered that. Because the tension in the building was extremely, extremely high. Even at the beginning of this year when they hired Kevin Stefanski, I remember writing about it for our website. Like This this disaster of a introductory press conference yeah. where Mike Zimmer at the end was yelling about reporters getting it wrong and things like that as he walked out. Like, whoa, there's a celebration of hiring your guy, right? I mean, it was it's just all year long. And I, I've heard this from someone recently, that even when they were winning, it was bubbling right underneath the surface, the tension between the players and Zimmer, between Zimmer and Spielman and ownership, and of course it all surrounds the quarterback who's the only guy who can bail them out. If the Wilfs are talking to players, that probably means players have approached them, though, to express their dismay about things. I get the sense that the players in Zimmer have reached the point where they've been around each other for too long. That's possible, be, that, That's the way that, that just happens. from talking to a couple people, that's kind of how I would phrase it. 
because he's still a really good coach, but I just get that feeling. The Steelers are not the norm. No, not at all. The Ravens are not the norm. The Patriots have the championships. All right, Meyer Metcalf's going to come up next, and we're going to continue the conversation. Purple Daily, if you missed it, uh, Mackenzie Alexander and Mike Hughes, both cornerbacks, out for Sunday's game. But Kendricks, obviously, Delvin Cook are in. We talk with ESPN's Myron Metcalf. When we return here, you listen to Purple Daily on Score North. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit FederatedInsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download. You just heard us, heard Matthew Collar and Judd Zalgad talk about uh, tensions over the practice facility right now. Mike Zimmer today, you heard at the beginning of the show the clip of him talking about the injuries he suffered, the, his defense suffered, while Eric Kendricks, not named to the Pro Bowl, but was named an All-Pro and well, they tried pulling teeth to get Zimmer to say even this. Uh, Eric's had a good year. He's a good kid. Works real hard. Um, has has gotten better each and every year. Um, so we're happy for him. Really happy? Doesn't sound like you're too happy there, Zimmer. That's been your score north download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you, Jonathan. Back here on Purple Daily, Matthew Collar, Jonathan Harrison producing, and now we welcome in, he's always on on Fridays, our friend from ESPN, Myron Metcalf. And uh, Myron, you are in Atlanta right now, but can you feel the tension coming from Egan? I I certainly can. Uh, It'll be interesting to see what happens Sunday between the Minnesota Vikings as they're led by new Dallas Cowboys coach Mike Zimmer. It's going to be interesting interesting matchup. Oh, Myron, I mean, okay, it's not super shocking that Jerry Jones would be behind something unique like this, but I can also (laughs) actually support it if I were in Dallas. I would be saying, well, wait a minute, this is a guy who has had a ton of defensive success. Dallas had really good offensive numbers, and it seems like they have a smart offensive mind, but Kellen Moore is not ready to be a head coach. They kind of need to be whipped into shape a little bit. It makes sense from their end. The big question is just... Can the Vikings do anything in New Orleans to have Mike Zimmer continue to be here as the head coach? Because as the week has gone along, Myron, I've felt more and more like this is just a reality. I'm not for it. I haven't thought it's a good idea, but it's a reality. If they get smoked on Sunday, I think this is it. It feels that way. And I think to me, I think the smartest coaches know you want to leave before you get fired, right? I mean, if you can figure it out. I think that's the best situation. You have some success, uh, and then you leave before they're able to put you out. And this seems perfect to me. Like, Kyler, I think if the Cowboys really had Urban Meyer or if they had Lincoln Riley, there's no way they would have allowed the Jason Garrett situation to drag out this way because they would have said, we got to go get those guys, bring them on board, and let them reshape the organization. So I think it's clear they don't have one of those guys. Then you're left with who? The, The recycled former head coaches? Out there, I mean, who do you call? Mike McCarthy? So I think if you are, if you're Jerry Jones, you're looking at your options, your realistic options, and you go, okay, I can get a guy, Mike Zimmer, who knows my personality, who knows the organization, who's had a lot of success on defense, which is where we struggled, uh, which has been the biggest problem here. 
if he can get a good offensive coordinator, uh, there's no reason to think that Mike Zimmer couldn't be a great solution for the Cowboys. So it, it feels to me, if your options are go into the 2020 season with everybody knowing that if you can't win a year three with Kirk Cousins, you're done, or start somewhere fresh. To me, Cowboys, Mike Zimmer, uh, if they lose Sunday, and especially if it's a bad loss, it makes a lot of sense to me. It makes a lot of sense from the Cowboys' perspective. Now, from the Vikings' perspective, though, it's a little different because when I tweeted last night that I had the sense this is a real thing, which is kind of the only way I could put it uh, on Twitter, um, you know, I got a lot of responses that said the Vikings would be absolutely crazy to move on from a head coach who has had this much success. You are in the playoffs for the third time in the last five years. I kind of look at 2014 as not really his team yet. Um, and, and then since then, they have been highly competitive under Mike Zimmer. He's got a winning percentage of 600, and he's got the postseason win against New Orleans. I know it took a miracle, but you got a playoff win there. You've got a trip to the NFC Championship game, and even though it didn't go well, it's not like teams all around the league are just popping up in conference championship games all the time. Your team, every season they've gone into with Zimmer since 2015, has had a chance, and all the things that he's dealt with here, especially at the quarterback position, it's hard not to look at it and say, wait, you're going to find a better coach than this? That's going to be a really tall task, I think. See, I, I think um, I think that's one way to look at it, Kyler, obviously 100%. I think a lot of people are viewing it that way. I, I don't know if that's the right phrasing in my book. T- to me, the question is, has he reached his ceiling? Uh, has he already done as much as he's going to do in Minnesota? And I think that's a valid question. Uh, the stakes changed in 2017, and we say the same thing over and over, I feel like. But 2017 was the year where the Vikings were supposed to go forward and begin to compete for championships. Uh, not slide into the playoffs as the number six seed on the road against a really good Saints team. Not miss the playoffs at eight, seven, and one last year in the year one of Kirk Cousins. I think it's fair to go. You could get that far with Case Keenum with a lot of the same pieces and a better quarterback. And then here you are. And I think the other problem is the NFC. It was very, very, it was, I won't say it was an easier field, but there's a lot of parity in the NFC. Uh, the Green Bay Packers are at home right now resting because they beat the Vikings, essentially, right? I don't think they're a great team. They're, they're right there with the Vikings, but they beat Minnesota, and that elevated them to the two-seed. For a team like Green Bay to have that second uh, bye, that's phenomenal to me. It says a lot about the makeup of the NFC, and if you can't get in in a year like this higher than a six, I think it's fair to go, what changes in 2020 with Mike Zimmer? Like, what is the thing that's going to happen that hasn't already happened? And that's where it's not about you're losing a good coach. Is it's a time, is a time for an outside vision to come in? And I think that's what the Packers thought when they brought in Matt LaFleur. Mike McCarthy had won big. He won a Super Bowl. But was it time for a new culture? They said yes. And I think it's paid off for them to some degree. Yeah. And, and I understand that side of it for sure that. Messages get stale and people reach their peak and there's not much more they can do. And eventually, as the owners of the team, I'm sure that they get tired of getting in their private jet in New Jersey and flying up to Minnesota and showing up at U.S. Bank Stadium and watching uh, incredible pregame ceremonies and shooting off fireworks. Unfortunately, the um, the dragon doesn't 
you know, it doesn't breathe fire yeah, anymore, which just, is just terrible. Yeah, Thanks. Anymore. Thanks, Cults Titans. Up, right? Was the cult messed it up? Uh, it was the Titans. They lit a speaker yeah, yeah. on fire or something, and then everybody couldn't use fire anymore, which is a joke. So NFL fixed that before yeah, next year. This is much more important to me than all this other stuff, Myron. Um, but, but you know, yeah, you, you get there and you look at it. You own this team and you look at this stadium and you look at the, the players that you have down there and the all pros and the pro bowlers and everything else. And you look at the what you've built here and you go, well, we should win one of these damn big games eventually, right? Like two seasons in a row with all the talent on the field and you have two games against winning teams that you've beaten and it's both times mediocre Philadelphia teams that were just barely over 500. I mean, I understand it from that angle. I just look at somebody different. I don't look at the head coach of the team for that. I look at the quarterback. I look at it as you are so often bringing a knife to a gunfight with whoever the quarterback was except for Teddy Bridgewater as he was emerging. But even aside from that, a lot of times, I mean, if it was Bridgewater-Rodgers, you're still bringing in the lesser quarterback. And at any point during Case Keenum, at any point during Kirk Cousins, you go into a huge game against a great team, your guy is not as good as their guy at the most important position. It's like... Myron, when the Utah Jazz play against the Los Angeles Lakers in the playoffs later this year, who you picking? Yeah. LeBron. Yeah. Because it's like that. And and that's where I get frustrated a little bit. And I ask, has Zimmer done what he's supposed to do here, which is have a top-five defense, which he did this year in points against? Wow. Has he created a culture? Has he kept people around? Uh, you know what? What's the the feeling of players around him is a little bit questionable right now. But players came back like Anthony Barr to play for him. Well, it's really hard for me to say, "Oh man, get that guy out of here." I I I can see that perspective, and I understand the idea of you know Kirk Cousins. You can put a lot of the blame on him. Um, you can say, "Hey, with what he's been given on paper, at least things have gone well," but. Why is everybody afraid to say the Super Bowl word? Like, say that. Like, at the end of the day, that was the goal. When you go to the NFC Championship with Case Keenum, you're supposed to, you, you, the messaging was, you're going to compete for a Super Bowl at some point in the coming years. So now you got to ask yourself, yourself a question. Year three could be the last year under Kirk Cousins, right? And if that's a failure, you got to hit the reset button on everything. Because if you lose him and now you got to go out looking for a quarterback, that could be a long journey. And that's when teams go, you know what? We're going to find some rookie quarterback. We're going to start to build around him, and we're going to start this thing all over again. So I think you have to ask yourself, do you trust Mike Zimmer in year three with the same opportunity? And that's up to Spillman, at least for now, and the ownership. But it wouldn't surprise me if you had folks in the front office who said, yeah, what's the harm in maybe bringing in a new voice, especially if it's a perfect scenario where Mike Zimmer wants to go to Dallas and they bring in someone else, and I don't know who that person is, but it could work out for everyone. I just think you risk, if next year's a failure, you got to hit the button on the whole franchise and start over because you failed uh, in the three years you had Kirk Cousins where you were supposed to be competitive and compete for Super Bowls. You weren't supposed to be a six seed, barely getting into the playoffs in a dangerous matchup. You were supposed to be hosting at U.S. Bank Stadium. You were supposed to be the team that everybody was chasing, and you're not. So how many times do we say next year, next year, Folks are tired of saying next year, Kyler. Yeah. At some yeah. point, you got to say this is what it is. Yeah. And I, I guess I just look at when you signed Kirk Cousins, you put a ceiling on what you could do. 
I mean, I think I think he's been really good this year. He's had the best year of his career statistically, and there are some games where I sat back and watched like, whoa, man, he is really slinging it today. The Philadelphia game's a great example. He Detroit game, he's just on fire. They fit the offense to him. The weapons are playing really well, and, and he's a good quarterback. But when you think about the fundamental flaws of the guy that you signed, it's really difficult to see him competing with some of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. And that's kind of what you signed yourself up for. And quarterbacks like this, Myron, they get coaches fired every time. I mean, Marvin Lewis. But he promoted him, though, Kyler, right? He wanted him. I mean, like, like Zimmer's the one I don't think so. I don't think Zimmer wanted, I don't think Zimmer wanted Kirk Cousins, but I think it was the only option that they really had considering the fear of Teddy Bridgewater's knee. I, I mean, I think that ownership looked at it and said, we'll spend the money. So they said, well, okay, well, we don't trust Sam's knee. We don't trust Teddy, Teddy's knee. We don't trust Case to be the same guy. And what are our other options? Now, of course, I am the person who wanted to draft Lamar Jackson. I'm just going to throw that out there. But I can understand not wanting to draft Lamar Jackson either and hoping to put the Super Bowl back you know, on a rookie or, or something like that. So they yeah. bring in Kirk Cousins, and I get it. But it's just being realistic as ownership and fans of what you got yourself into with a quarterback who had consistently not found ways to win because he's not Drew Brees. He's Matt Stafford. He's Jay Cutler. He's Alex Smith. He's more in that ballpark of guys who are just good enough to get you to the playoffs and not usually good enough to get you any farther. And if he wants to prove me wrong, he definitely can on Sunday. Well, so, so how long do you wait till you get that guy there? You give him another five years, ten years? Here, here's my problem with what you just said, right? It's so easy to absolve a coach of any responsibility when things go south. And it's much easier to praise them when things go right. But that's not the way the world works, right? If you are the head of a major corporation, right? Let's say you run Toyota or something like that, or some major auto manufacturer, and there's a recall on your car. What happens every single time in that press conference Someone who's a CEO or a COO at a major company, he says, look, I'm resigning. He wasn't working in the factory installing these things, but guess what? He's the face of that company, and he has to assume responsibility. And Mike Zimmer has to as well. What do you say? He wanted Kirk Cousins, or he didn't. At the end of the day, he said Case Keenum wasn't good enough. And he said that Kirk Cousins was an upgrade, whether it was the ideal upgrade. He said this guy was an upgrade, and this is how we're going to compete for championships. That hasn't happened. He's also a guy who has mismanaged games as well. There have been moments where you said, okay, what is happening in the first half of a Packers game at home where you have three opportunities to convert turnovers into bigger plays and you can't do it? Like, what is going on there? That's a game you got to win. Why can't you beat Kansas City in Kansas City when Matt Moore is the quarterback? That, to me, is an overall collective thing, and the head of all that is Mike Zimmer. Yep. So I can't say this guy you know, hasn't had the right quarterback, and that's the excuse every single time. It's his show. It's his operation. He has to assume some blame. He has not gotten the job done. And if they lose on Sunday, this will be a continued failure for Mike Zimmer and the Vikings under Kirk Cousins. Yeah, and, and you're right about that, that they had plenty of opportunities in Chicago against the Bears team that didn't turn out to be very good, both games against Green Bay, the game against Kansas City. In the NFC this year, with as many awful teams as there were, there was a shot to have a first-round bye for this team, and they have the talent to do it, and they did not succeed. But that's the funny thing about how we look at everything is, you know, the Wilfs apparently love Kevin Stefanski, but what's been the real cause of most of these losses is offensive no-shows. But I went back and looked at the tape, and 
you know, that game against Green Bay, I see a quarterback who had all sorts of opportunities to make something happen and to win you a game, and, and it didn't. And that's where it always comes back to, to me. But I, I get where you're coming from. Eventually, when you have a coach for so long and it doesn't work, you have to say, well, we got to try something else because this is the last year of Kirk's contract. And if they still haven't decided yet what they're going to do uh, with an extension, I mean, you know, first of all, I think you should probably have a really good sense by now. You shouldn't be judging it on one playoff game, but, you know, that's kind of how the NFL tends to work with owners. So if you see them not be able to get it done again in the playoffs, I understand saying, well, okay, this is just the ceiling for what we are. But I also caution that a little bit and say, you know, the Detroit Lions decided that, you know, Jim Caldwell had done all he could do. Sorry, too, you know, you got an 11 and 5 season, yeah. a couple 9 and 7s. We got to get rid of you, man. I mean, we just got to try something else. It's not working. You're an offensive coach. We need a defensive coach. And then Matt Patricia comes in and tanks the franchise two years in a row. And we see that all yeah. the time where, you know, even with, even with the Bears, oh, Lovey Smith, you know, he just can't get it done and we got to get rid of him and we got to bring in this other guy. I think it was Mark Tressman and that ends up being a disaster. So, you know, it's, it's a very, very difficult dance, Myron, to decide when you should move on, when you should keep someone. But here's where I'll agree with you is that, you know, the scoreboard is what matters the most. And the scoreboard on two years of Kirk Cousins, if it's zero playoff wins, that isn't good enough. I, I put my expectation, Myron, at, yeah, I think they could get back to an NFC championship within these two or three years of Kirk Cousins. If you come nowhere close to that in the first two years, then I get it. Yeah. I mean, Sunday matters a lot, clearly. Um, and I, it certainly matters for Kirk Cousins, but I feel like the narrative about Kirk Cousins has already been written. I mean, if he comes in and does what's expected, they'll lose, and we'll have more questions about his future, uh, and we'll go into 2020 going, this is probably it. You know, I don't know that we're going to see a miracle uh, from Kirk Cousins in year three. But, but I do think Mike Zimmer, in, in some ways, has been able to go to the podium and say, it was him. No, actually, it was him this time. No, this guy. No, this has to be better. And and I feel like at some point, you've got to go, okay, but you're the guy over the whole operation. Why isn't it better? And how many times do you have to ask that question? I think you can be a good coach in the NFL, but not necessarily the right coach. Mm-hmm. And I think that, to me, is the question you have to consider in the offseason. Is it possible that Mike Zimmer is a good coach but for what this team wants to achieve and how they want to advance, Kyler, he might not be the right coach right now because of the chances they've given him to elevate this team, and it hasn't worked. I think Mike McCarthy was a good coach. I think he's a solid coach, and he's going to get a job probably at some point in the next two years if he wants one. But I understand the Packers saying, for the way the NFL's changing what Aaron Rodgers wants and trying to get the most out of his final years in the league, let's maybe go for a change. So I think the Vikings have to have have to be willing to ask that question and be comfortable with whatever the answer is. Because if you move on from Mike Zimmer, it doesn't mean he wasn't a good coach. It just might mean at some point you run out of chances. And at some point you got to make change. And we know all the failures that happen when people change coaches, but that shouldn't stop you from making a move and taking that risk. Okay, Myron. Well, let me ask you this before I let you go and get to whatever job you're doing uh, this week, covering college basketball yeah. for, for ESPN. Um, what if they win? I mean, how how weird is that? It, I, I still wouldn't expect that they could 
get to the NFC Championship and get through San Francisco, <laughs> or definitely not to the Super Bowl still with the road they're having to travel that nobody's done it since 2010, and that was Aaron at his absolute best. But, yeah. uh, I mean, if they win, I'm going to, I'm going to write this yeah. for, for tomorrow that everyone's going to be looking around and I'll ruin, uh, for people who read scorenart.com, I'll root, ru- I'll ruin the lead to my story because I care so much about you here on Purple Daily. Is I was watching Twilight Zone the other day. You know, they have the marathon at the, you know, start of the every year. And there's, yeah. uh, there's an episode where, uh, everybody in the town thinks that a bomb is going to hit their town and they're all going to die. And then, uh, one family has a bomb shelter. So all the other neighbors throw that family out of the bomb shelter and they jump in there and they're like, okay, screw you guys or whatever. And then there's no bomb. And they all walk out of the bomb shelter that they stole away from their neighbor and they're like, all right, well, just, uh, back to business there. It's, I think that <laughs> yeah. if yeah. they win, we're all going to look around and be like, yeah. Uh, yeah, so all that talk about firing you, I mean, yeah, I wasn't behind that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. right, Kirk? Like, I never said you couldn't come yeah. through, Kirk. I never thought that for a minute. That was Cam Jordan. That wasn't anyone in our locker room. Yeah, I, I think if they win, I'll say I knew they had it in them the whole time. Um, <laughs> I'll probably be one of those guys. No, I mean, but at the same time, I don't – it's okay to do that. Like, because if a team gives you every reason to doubt, and then they surprise you, that's that's cool. Okay, great. You surprise us. But you don't get to go back and play the everyone doubted us. There were reasons to doubt you. You had one win against a winning team, right. and that winning team is barely a winning team. So if they surprise everyone, that, that will be uh, a shocker, and it will be impressive, and it will make it harder to some of those 50-50 questions. We'll go in Kirk Cousins' favor. We'll go in Mike Zimmer's favor if you can beat a team like the Saints because I think a lot of people think, the Saints can win it all, and not yeah. just win it all this year. I think a lot of people think there are certainly scenarios where the Saints have won three championships in the last three years, if you include this year, and they win it. 2017, the Minneapolis Miracle, they go on to Philly. I think they have a chance to win that game. And then last year's notorious pass interference call, uh, they definitely have a chance if they advance and face New England. So you beat a team like the Saints, uh, that would certainly shape the narrative and change things. But uh, let's everybody slow down and Let's see what happens. What are you thinking? I don't think they crush them. I mean, the Saints. Yeah. I actually think 35-27 I've been thinking. You are in the same ballpark uh, as me. I, I got 34-31. I still think it's going to be close. Yeah. I think you can move the ball against that team. I, I think so, too. And I think when they cave, uh, everything opens up. Yeah. You know, I think there's that potential for sure. Yep. Myron, always great uh, to talk with you. And uh, next Friday, we might be talking about another playoff game. And um, I might be booking flights and everything else. Or yeah. we might be tearing apart the dead body of the season and talking about a coaching <laughs> search. I mean, you just, you do never know. And that's what makes it great. So uh, thanks. Ne- uh, never know. Thanks for popping on. Looking forward to chatting with you again soon, Myron. All right. Thanks, brother. Yep. Take care. That's Myron Metcalf of ESPN. Let me just. I mean, just uh, I'm sure there's got to be a GIF for this online or a meme or something. Just like, whoosh, hold on, just let me like wipe off all the sweat here. I've been, I've been, I, I mean, I always jog, but I've been doing it on a treadmill more mm-hmm. as opposed to outside because my wife told me that I was going to eventually hurt myself on ice. And she is smarter than me, so I listened. And uh, what I noticed is it's really hot in gyms. I'm used to running outside when it's cold. Or running at night in the summer where it's nice and there's, you know, it's cool, but mm-hmm. it's so hot in the gym and I'm just like pouring sweat well, they want by the time sweat. I'm done. 
Yeah, I assume that that was the reason, but I, it's a noticeable difference from just <laughs> jogging like in a hoodie around town. And so I, at the end, I get off and I and, and I do that just like a cartoon, <laughs> just whip all the. And I feel like that after this first hour, just like, okay, hold on, all right, let me let me catch my breath here. We got Robert Mays. It was quite the it he's, was quite the hour. He's from the Ringer. Quite a bit to talk about. No one's been fired yet. <laughs> yet we'll see. Okay, <laughs> that's when we come back. Purple Daily. All right, Jonathan, hit the break. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Importance level is to play well this week, and we'll worry about long-term and all those other things later on. We're going to focus on the Saints and go down to New Orleans. Oh, Mike Zimmer with so much to stay at the uh, podium today. Matthew Collar here back on Purple Daily. In a few minutes, Robert Mays from The Ringer and then Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus. So a lot to discuss with those two. Um, let's get to what's going on if you missed it. Two major stories that are sort of running parallel to each other. One will make you panic about the game, and then the other one may pique your interest, I think. Uh, the first one is that Mackenzie and Alexander and Mike Hughes are both out for this game. Uh, on Mackenzie Alexander, I think it is worth questioning why he played last week, in Week 17 against the Chicago Bears. I mean, Alexander came into that game questionable with a knee injury, and is a huge player for this team in terms of the percentage of snaps that he takes. He's not a guy that we talk about a lot, which is in part because he usually does his job. He is rated as one of the best tacklers at the cornerback position by Pro Football Focus, and he has become a solid player at his position after some years where we wondered if he would, if he would be able to fill that Terrence Newman or Captain Munderland role. But just looking at his snap counts for this year, the most he has played in a single game was against Dallas. He played 82% of snaps, and it's usually somewhere between 55 to 80%, uh, depending on how the other team plays. There are some teams that use a lot of two tight end and things like that. Well, I would imagine that the Vikings are going to see a lot of three wide receiver sets now uh, that two of their cornerbacks are out, um, especially a solid starting nickel corner. And then Mike Hughes, it's hard to figure out what happened there other than that he must have gotten injured in practice. Uh, He showed up on the injury report but was practicing with a neck injury earlier this week. And then today he's nowhere to be found. And Mike Zimmer comes up, and uh, that you know the Vikings announce that he's going on injured reserve. So there's no chance of him coming back at any point in the playoffs. Should the Vikings win, there was no explanation from Zimmer aside from saying that Hughes got hurt playing football. So I would love to know exactly what happened there. If it was in practice, what type of injury it is? Is it going to be a long term thing? I've got nothing for you on that aside from neither of these guys is playing against the Saints. Now, if you're looking for some reason to be not super terrified by the fact that Michael Thomas often lines up in the slot and your two slot corners are hurt, it's that J. Ron Curse did fill in as the nickel corner earlier this year in a similar situation where Hughes was not ready to return yet and uh, Alexander had gotten hurt. 
And he did pretty well in the first two games. Of course, he was thrown at quite a bit in those two games, but not terrible. In the first game against Atlanta, seven uh, receptions on nine targets his way, but only allowed 46 yards. And then against Green Bay, three for four with 29 yards. And he had a terrific game against the Denver Broncos earlier this year, uh, in which at the end of the game had a couple of pass deflections. They tried targeting Noah Fant, and Jaron Curse was great. But in this situation, you are going up against a different kind of monster in the New Orleans Saints, where Michael Thomas is the only receiver in the NFL with 50 or more catches from lining up in the slot. And that is a problem for you, um, that he has the highest percentage of his catches out of his total coming from the slot. They're going to use that a lot. So now does Xavier Rhodes track uh, Michael Thomas all over the field? Do they try to have J. Ron Curse follow him? Do they play a lot of zone stuff and try to keep the Saints in front of them, which would be my expectation, that they play a lot of two high safeties and they try to make sure that if the Saints are going to score, it's on long drives, that they have to run the ball, that they have to complete four, five, six, seven passes. The problem with that is they'll do it. Not every team will, but certainly Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints will have no problem doing that. And then it all comes down to how well you play in the red zone. The Vikings have tremendously good red zone statistics this year, but you're not playing Drew Brees in every situation throughout this season. And that really changes the dynamic. And and the question I go back to, because I don't think it's impossible that they could slow them down, um, or or that Mackenzie Alexander is some sort of irreplaceable player. It's just why was he in week seventeen when he's a guy that's taken as high of a percentage as eighty percent of snaps this year, when the Vikings could have played another corner who they would bump up from the practice squad or something. They could have played three linebackers for the entire game. They had Cameron Smith, Kentrell Brothers, Eric Wilson played in that game. If there's nothing to lose, then why not play a base defense and make sure Mackenzie Alexander isn't on the field when he's already hurt? Things happen. I wouldn't have said, hey, you know, uh, freak out that Alexander's out there if he was 100% healthy and then it ended up being a freak thing. But the fact that he was already dinged up and at one point in Week 17 hobbled off the field and ended up coming back in, that is hard to figure out. And this team has had a tendency to do that. They've had a tendency to have Thielen come out too soon and re-aggravate his hamstring, or last year with Delvin Cook, re-aggravate his hamstring. And it's not to say that the training staff isn't doing their job or or whatever, it, but it seems like they've had a record of putting guys out there a little bit too soon and then getting them injured. And there's another one to watch here that is really interesting because this player has suddenly become very valuable is Afadi Adenabo is questionable. And Adenabo has become their guy who comes in and fills in and, and seems to find a way to make a play every game. I know that all of you weren't super dialed in to the Week 17 game, and I wasn't either because what was going on with Green Bay and Detroit. But Afadi Adenimo got a strip sack in that game. He returned the fumble for a touchdown against the Chargers. He got a big stop or sack. I think it was a stop, a run stop against Dallas when they foolishly tried to run Ezekiel Elliott a couple of times at the end of that game, and Afadi Adenabo was in on it. If he can't play, and then we're not sure 
what level Eric Kendricks will be back to. Kendricks did practice these last two days. He's not on the injury report for today, but we still don't know. Is he really going to be at 100% for this game? He, I mean, he's listed as a full participant. He went from did not practice to limited to a full participant. So they have his injury listed. He's just um, not out or questionable or anything like that for the game. But what is his status really? And this is a Vikings team that in order to go anywhere in the playoffs, we figured one of the big benefits was going to be that they were healthy. That when you went from position to position, you're getting Adam Thielen back at least closer to 100%. Delvin Cook has sat the last two games. He's going to be closer to 100%. And then Eric Hendricks is going to be able to play. So, okay, you're you're very close, or, or you're going to be a, a full squad when you play New Orleans. Now that's going to look a lot tougher and certainly questionable why they let Mackenzie Alexander get out there. So that's story number one and something to watch. And, yeah, you should be pretty concerned about that one. Story number two is that it's just uh you know building up and building up when it comes to um you know, this conversation about Mike Zimmer and and Rick Spielman I would add to this and Jonathan just sent me a tweet from Pro Football Talk that the Vikings released a statement from Mark Wilf on Zimmer and Spielman saying we value Mike and Rick's leadership and we have every intent of Mike continuing as the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings and Rick leading our football operations next year and beyond. Where did that come from? Well, that I don't know where that came from, but that was just tweeted. I'm checking the date and I'm checking Pro yeah, Football Talk to make sure. Two minutes ago. So, but isn't that just a vote of confidence that oh, yeah, doesn't yeah. mean a thing? I, For sure. I, it's, a, it's a very weird timing here. This doesn't look like an announcement that they're coming back for sure, no matter what happens. It just seems like one of those empty... I don't like who are they giving this to? Just pro football talk because PFT keeps are they, fueling the fire? Are they sensing that there is talk that they could be gone and like they heard... The clip that we played earlier of yeah, ESPN talking, talking about, about Zimmer yeah. going to Dallas. Are they yeah. hearing that and they just want to put out that fire? Yeah, I don't if know. So that's really a weird statement. It, it is a surprising timing for a statement to give the the dreaded vote of confidence on a Friday right, afternoon. Yeah, right before your game in New Orleans. But this is not what the sense has been around that building for quite some time. The sense has been around that building that the Wilfs paid for Kirk Cousins and they expected success, and last year they didn't get it. And this year, after watching what happened against the Green Bay Packers on Monday Night Football, that the feeling would be if something goes really wrong in the playoffs, then then this could be bad. And then as the week has gone on here, the amount of buzz that's come from people like Charles Robinson, who's dialed in, people like Dan Graziano, about this Dallas thing and the potential for a trade it has made it feel even more like if you don't upset the New Orleans Saints, even if it is 34 to 31, that you're going to end up with a new coach and, and potentially a new general manager as well. To put out this statement now to just say we value them and we have every intent of Mike continuing as the head coach. I mean, it's it's not, hey, guys, we're definitely not firing him. It's, we have the intent to, which could Absolutely change. I mean, at one point, Rick Spielman once said, we're not trading Percy Harvin, and then he traded Percy Harvin. So, I mean, this this is the classic, classic NFL, like, no, we want people to stop talking about this and start hyping up the game, but it's also, we you hear you, fuel to that fire. and you more or less acknowledged that everything that's being said is being said for a reason. And so that's uh, that's out there. 
and very interesting that they issue a statement uh, about, you know, the other thing is, too, that they did not issue a statement announcing contract extensions. No. Their contracts expire in 2020, and they could put the money where their mouth is and sign both of them to a contract extension right now. To not do that still tells us that I don't think a thing has changed from what Meyer Metcalf and I were just talking about in the last segment that I have always been on the side of this front office built a really good team, and this is a very, very good head coach, and if your quarterback can't outduel other quarterbacks who are better than him, well, then you and the rest of the league have the same problem, right? I mean, you and the Atlanta Falcons, you and the Detroit Lions, you and you know, Jay Cutler's two teams that he played for, all in the same boat. The Alex Smiths of the world, it's always been a problem. It usually gets people fired um, but it doesn't mean that your coach doesn't know what he's doing. I think Mike Zimmer has held up his side of the bargain, and I've stuck with that uh, throughout this week. But I've had to sort of back down a little bit here when it looks like, yeah, this could really, really happen if uh, they come up short on Sunday. And I do not change the stance at all of feeling like this is very, very possible just by seeing this statement. But <laughs> for a team, I mean, how... This is just like classic Vikings. Talk about a distraction that they've had this week. There is no way that everybody in that building could shut this out, especially since people in that building have probably been doing some of the talking to be out there in the national media. That around that place at TCO Performance Center, there has to be a lot of people looking around at each other. Mike Zimmer looking at Kirk Cousins wondering, are you going to get me fired? Kirk Cousins thinking, am I going to get a contact extension because I'm going to get judged on this one game? The receivers and the offensive line looking at Cousins going, are you are you going to show up? Because that could be a problem. And uh, Delvin Cook going, I can I can carry this, I think. Um, <laughs> and you know, defense. I think my shoulder will stay. Yeah, on. I think my shoulders will. So you guys can ride those shoulders all the way to a win potentially, but uh, also then got to be looking over at the defense saying you guys haven't really been good this year against winning teams so maybe uh, you want to show up and that's where you end up with the finger pointing blaming everybody else the need to have something change and i and i also think that a reason that they put out this statement here um is for for two other potential reasons number 1 if the vikings do lose to the saints uh, the Wilfs on their way out do not want to get bum rushed by reporters. They'll just say, "We've already put out our statement, and you know, we'll whatever, whatever, whatever that sort of thing." And also, too, to let Jerry Jones know it ain't going to be cheap. I think that's another part of it too. That we're not going to do it for a fifth round pick. If you want to trade for Mike Zimmer, that we have every intent to bring him back. So if you want him, you are going to have to pay us a lot. I have remained in the camp that. If you stick with Mike Zimmer, you have a good chance to be in the playoffs next year. Things can go different ways to get you a better position. Sometimes 10-6 and does get you a home playoff game. So this year it didn't because of the way that things played out. And when you build one of the better franchises in the NFL, it's really hard for me to say, oh man, just get rid of the guy in charge. You go through who are the teams that keep all their players, that have an ownership that's willing to pay, that have good performances overall on both sides of the ball. They've got an all-pro at linebacker. They've got pro bowlers. 
on, on every part of the field here. The guys that have either been before or in this year, and they've brought people back on contracts that they wouldn't have signed in other places. So, I mean, how many franchises can you really say that for that are as stable as the Vikings have become under Mike Zimmer? It's only recently, and I mean really recently, that uh, I've felt like, oh, this is this is actually on rocky ground. But from the other perspective, if you give all these tools to a head coach, and even if his quarterback does not play as well as he should in a big game or many big games, when you give a lot of tools to a head coach and you don't win a playoff game after two seasons with as much money as you spent, it's going to be really disappointing. And that's where I think that things could change. So I I, I don't believe that you could have this many reports out there with no fire to them, that you could have this much smoke with absolutely no fire with, um, you know, just reporters coming out of this, coming up with this stuff out of nowhere. Like these guys usually don't Um, people like Charles Robinson, people like Dan Graziano, if that's what they're hearing and that I've heard rumblings of this as well, being legit, the thing with Dallas, then that's probably the truth. All right. Robert Mays from the ringer is joining us now. Oh, man, Robert, it is a day here in Minnesota. What's going on, buddy? Did I push the wrong button? Oh, there you go. Okay. All right. Sorry, sorry, Robert. You're you're potted down. Go ahead. Now you're up. Can you hear me? All right. Sorry. Trust me. It's been a heck of a a 24 hours for me. My phone is broken, so I only use it with headphones. My recorder was on my phone, so that's broken. I'm in Baltimore. I had to write a thing about Jerry Jones getting fired, or well, which should happen. Jason Garrett getting fired. (laughs) This time of year is just, I don't know, man. It's too much. No, you're right. You're right. And uh, I just, if you haven't seen it, was reading the statement from Vikings ownership saying they have every intent of Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman to continue in their positions, which sounds like the dreaded vote of confidence to me, Robert. I don't know about that. I, I mean, conversations I've had with you guys up there about, you know, kind of the lay of the land and how that might go have always been surprising to me because. I just think that that team has a really good foundation to be pretty good, and I'm not sure that you'd want to get rid of that duo at this point, even if they do lose in the first round of the playoffs. Well, you and I are on the same page there. I've been talking about that all week of, like, look at this organization that you have built, and you know, look, look at the defense that you have. Even when it struggles, it's fifth best in the league in points. But there is also something to be said, Robert, if they don't pull off an upset here of, Two years of Kirk Cousins, two years of a lot of contracts handed out, and no playoff wins is pretty tough to swallow. I can understand that, but I think you've seen progress from the offense. And I know Cousins has kind of fell flat later in the season, but I do think these flashes that you've seen and the peaks that you've seen from that group have to excite you. You know, let's say Kevin Stefanski leaves in the offseason. What do you think happens? What do I think happens, like just in general, like prediction-wise? Like, in terms of who's going to call the offense, oh. I think it's probably pretty clear. Yeah, I mean, well, so the Kevin Stefanski conversation is really interesting, right? I mean, because this is a guy who is getting talked about for all these head coaching positions, but the Vikings might also want him as as his, as the head coach here if they think the offense is sustainable. I just think even if he gets hired away, then Gary Kubiak just calls the place next year. You think so? Wouldn't see, that make sense? Well, see, I was thinking that I was thinking that Kevin Stefanski might call the plays as the head coach. Oh, I don't know if that's the right thing to do. You really want to just for one year? I, I tend to I, I tend to like the offensive head coach model just because it, it, for this exact reason. 
it, it gives you continuity and it really gives you some stability where having your coordinator hired away is not a question. But I still think that after one year of the offense looking like this, scrapping the Zimmer era and moving on to giving it to Kevin Stefanski, I think that there's risk involved with that. Oh, definitely. I, I, I understand what you're saying, but I just think that might be one step too far. So the question would be then, like they, they love Stefanski. They don't want to see him go. I get that sense from being around. But if they feel like Zimmer's message has gotten stale, which I know is a cliche, but I also think it's a real thing where you know the same guy okay. pounding the same points eventually does sort of run thin with your star players. And if they do feel like the defense has started to slip a little bit and he doesn't have the same impact, the same ability to just scheme something up and whip something up to stop great quarterbacks, which they have not done this year, every time they face the great quarterback, it's 400 yards of offense against them that you might see it as well. The offensive coordinator model, the Andy Reid, you can have an offense that's good for a longer period of time than usually defense, which you and I know bounces up and down. And then if you feel like players will respond to Stefanski as they have largely on the offensive side overall as a head coach, you you would have to at least consider it if they get smoked in New Orleans. I think you have to consider it, but I still think it's an overreaction to a certain degree. If you think... Uh, we've seen this happen before, right? I mean, it's kind of what happened with, Jared, with Jason Garrett. I keep calling Jason Garrett Jerry Jones. It's been a long week. This is kind of what's happened, what happened with Jason Garrett in Dallas, where it, it was completely unacceptable, the idea of losing him. And so they gave him a godfather offer to stay as a coordinator, kind of with the hint, hint that you were the coach in waiting. And if that's how you feel about Kevin Stefanski, if you feel that strongly about him as an organization, I guess I can understand that thought process, but again, it's just, and I like Kevin Stefanski. I think he's really smart, Yeah, but I, I just don't know if that's exactly how you'd want to do this. Yeah, and I, I am with you on that. It's just that as it's built throughout the week, I thought at first it was just sort of your natural, well, if this goes wrong, then you never know. And then by the end of the week, Dan Graziano's on TV saying, yeah, they could definitely trade Zimmer to Dallas. Like, okay, wow. Uh, the the uh, different build-up to this game than I expected, but uh, I, I do want to talk to you, though, Robert, about the great article you did about Drew Brees and the relationship with Sean Payton, which, of course, I couldn't help myself think about that there is no relationship between Zimmer and Kirk Cousins, by the way, um, and the fact that you interviewed a McCown. And anytime you get to interview a McCown, it's a special <laughs> time in your life. So what, what was the top thing that you took away from all the conversations you had about the relationship between Brees and Sean Payton? I think that just the collaborative aspect of their relationship is always is so interesting to me. You know, obviously, in his earlier career, early time with the, with the Saints, we didn't have as much of a handle on the, the system and everything else. Brees had input the same way most quarterbacks would, but it's grown over time. You know, Joe Lombardi, their quarterbacks coach, who this is also an underrated part of this whole thing. They've had the same staff on offense for the last decade, for the most part. I mean, the continuity there is amazing. So Joe Lombardi, who's spent nine seasons there as the quarterbacks coach said that probably about six or seven years ago, Drew went from kind of saying, I want this route depth, right, like this route on the backside, to putting in full plays that he was suggesting. So, I mean, you have a little input from your quarterback that, one, gives you a better game plan because he's a smart offensive mind and essentially another coach, and two, just instills so much confidence in the quarterback because of the ownership he has over what the offense is. Uh, so that side of it I thought was fascinating. Just the level of detail that they go through on the field and just kind of the motions and the formations and everything else. And I know you know this. When you talk to guys, 
And sometimes you get overexcited and you think, oh, man, this seems so new and interesting. And then you'll talk to other people and they're like, no, that's pretty standard in the league. Yeah. But by talking to a guy like Luke McCown, who has been with seven teams in a 13-year career, and having him say to me, this is unlike anything else, I think you get a sense of just how rare it is. And then the last part was on Saturday nights, they essentially go through the game plan and Breeze picks the plays that he likes. And, mm-hmm. again, that is something that most teams do to some degree. But with a lot of teams, it'll be, what's your favorite third and seven call? And I'll yeah. take a note of it as a play caller. For the Saints, it's literally every single play on the play sheet they go through and have a conversation about whether they're going to dot it or not is one of Breeze's favorite plays. And McCown told me that that meeting can go an hour, it can go two hours, and it's just the only people in the room that talk are those two. And that's just a back and forth that I think is extremely rare at this level. And I think it requires a familiarity and a trust and an honestness that you're not going to get from a lot of coaches and coordinators. Yeah, I can't say I've ever heard of a quarterback running the entire game plan. Usually it is the, maybe Peyton Manning used to do it, I don't know, but it used to be, at least from what I read in Bruce Arians' book, it would be like the third downs, as you mentioned, that he would go through wanting his quarterback to be most comfortable with the biggest plays, but aside from that, it was just, here's the game plan, you get to pick your favorite third down plays, but that is uh, that is truly incredible. And Robert, I love this coaching matchup, and it's sort of been... I don't want to say annoying because I always love talking about no matter what we're we're doing with football, but to not talk as much about Peyton versus Zimmer, which has created these fascinating battles. And Drew Brees has not been unbelievable against the Vikings really since the time they played in the Dome in 2014. But then now we're dealing with a little bit different Zimmer defense that doesn't quite have as much talent and an older Breeze, and the pressure's on for him and everything else with you know the, the Super Bowl window running out for Breeze in his career. I mean, if it wasn't for all the other sort of noise, I would just be really enthralled with this matchup. I think that it's so interesting because of pretty kind of what we were saying about the Saints is that the tweaks they do to their concepts and the things they do to kind of get these plays ready and make them different than what they've done in, in previous weeks is they really do do a great job of honing in on the rules of the defense and how to affect individual players within the structure of that scheme. And I think one of the reasons that they've struggled relatively against the Vikings in years past is that it's very difficult to do that against Minnesota. Pieces move in such interesting ways. It's a defense that is as kind of proactive as any defense you're going to see in the league schematically. And I think that makes it really difficult to bend to your will by formation, by using motions, all of that stuff. So I totally agree with you. I think the cat and mouse of it is absolutely incredible. Yeah, and, and Breeze is not a guy you can blitz at all. I was looking up his numbers when he gets blitzed, and he's got 127 quarterback rating, so you sort of take the tool out of the bag. But then I was watching back the last game they played last year, and Zimmer picked two or three times during the whole game to send a blitz, and they worked each time. So it, I think Breeze went maybe one for four with three yards or something when he was blitzed. So watching those two go back and forth. But then, you know, you have players out here. And in order to win, I think, Robert, the Vikings, whether it's Zimmer or Kirk Cousins, are going to have to do the thing where they really actually do prove everyone wrong. Usually it's no one believes in us and it's 50 50. Well, we sort of believe. But in this case, it's you are an extreme underdog. And you two have an immense amount of pressure, Wilf statement or not Wilf statement. You have an immense amount of pressure. And if they could pull this off, it really will be showing everyone that we can band together and do this. 
Absolutely. And I think it'll give you faith for whatever this structure is moving forward. I just, when I think about the Vikings chances and what they have to do, I kind of love doing this, like build me an upset. How, how can this happen? And I feel like even though the Saints secondary has a lot of good players in it, there are still moving pieces back there. You have Janoris Jenkins, who's only been there for a little bit. Can you get one or two plays where all of that movement, the play action, everything else can leave him slightly flat-footed for one of those just deep shots to find Dick's touchdowns on first and ten that we've seen this season? I think they're, when you're the underdog, you need high-variance plays to go your way. Yes. And if they can get a couple of those chunks if they can somehow you know, have a situation in the middle of the field where you can really rely on a guy like Anthony Harris or Harrison Smith to make a play for you, even if you're worried about your corners. Turnover battles and big plays are huge when you're not as good as the other team. And I think as simple as that may seem, I think that's what this comes down to. Yep, and we also know, I mean, this is high variance anyway with Kirk Cousins. It always has been. It's Cameron yeah. Jordan said it this week. Which Kirk shows up, everyone wants to know. And if the bad version shows up, then they're probably thinking about potentially changing their direction. Now, you're in Baltimore. There is no football game in Baltimore. You know that, right, for uh, this week. Um, what is your... I'll be getting on an airplane to Boston tomorrow, so don't worry oh, about okay. that. Oh, okay. All right, all right. Just making sure I, uh, that, that you realize that that is not this week. Uh, I... Okay, I, well, I found out the hard way. <laughs> I was going to ask you which other game is the most fascinating to you. Is it... Uh, I mean, it has to be New England, right? That's where you're headed. Yeah, I think it's probably New England just because of the stakes. You know, if the Patriots lose, I think that you absolutely can start to write an obituary for it because of how much uncertainty goes into this offseason. I mean, it's kind of not dissimilar to kind of what you're talking about with the Vikings where, yeah, it seems like we could run this back, but also is it time for a change? Does Belichick at the end of the season kind of sit there with Brady and say, we need to do something different because whatever this is that we've done forever just isn't working anymore. And I, that would be shocking, but I still think it's in the cards. You know, Robert, my my thing, I think that I simulated way too many Madden seasons as a kid because I'm like, you know, the off season is about to be really interesting. <laughs> Hold on, we've got a playoff game. I've got a plane to catch tomorrow to go to New Orleans, so I shouldn't get ahead of myself. But it's like, oh, can we talk for like five hours about how everything's going to play out in the off season? So, well, uh, I, I, though, I am very excited for what's going to happen over this weekend. Uh, do you think the Vikings have a shot at it, Robert? I absolutely do, because I think the Vikings are a good football team. Uh, yeah, I understand the shortcomings, and I will take the L here talking to you and Courtney before the season about their corner situation and how I thought you guys were crazy to say that. That's two years in a row. Two years in a row you have and not listened it, to us. We told you the offensive line two years ago and the corners this time. I'm just saying. I told I was with you on the offensive line. You didn't get pushback on that from me. <laughs> I completely understood there. I think that the corners thing, I was definitely not – buying it and it, it's definitely come to be so i uh yeah man i just think they're still a good team i love this version of offense i sat down with kevin Stefanski and kirk cousins before the season to talk about it i think that a lot of the things i figured might happen with this scheme and with their personnel have kind of come to fruition and i think that at its best it's gorgeous to watch it's my favorite type of football mm-hmm. but you can't deny that there have been some valleys here over the last month of the season. So we'll see what happens. I, I absolutely think they have the coaching, 
the players, everything to go into New Orleans and win. But I do think it's going to be a challenge. I think the Saints are the best team in the NFC. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree with everything you said there. I've got like 34-31. I think this could be one of those sort of instant classics that uh, we remember and Vikings fans are potentially sad about for a long time. Um, Follow him on Twitter, at Robert Mays, writes for The Ringer. And I know that the last thing you want to read is about Drew Brees and Sean Payton, because at Vikings fans, I'm sure you hate them. But the article is so good, and it includes a account, so please go read it. Uh, make sure it's his pinned tweet on Twitter. Make sure you check that out. The secret sauce behind the Drew Brees Sean Payton relationship. Robert, great to catch up with you, man. Let's do it again soon. Anytime, buddy. I appreciate it. Yep, and uh, good travels, and hopefully you fix your phone. I think we'll be okay. Fly safe tomorrow. <laughs> All right, take care, man. That's uh, Robert May is always great that he will come on. Let's take a break, and uh, we got Sam Monson, another regular guest who is coming right up as well. We'll be right back. You listen to Purple Daily on Score North. Jonathan here with the Score North download. If you somehow missed the news before the show, Mackenzie Alexander and Mike Hughes are out for this weekend's. Wild card playoff game against the Saints. Mackenzie Alexander out due to a knee injury. Mike Hughes put on injured reserve, so no chance of him coming back at all throughout the playoff should the Vikings move on. The other notable game status is Fadi Adenabo is questionable for this weekend's game against the Saints. That's been your score with Donald. Now back to the final segment of the week of Purple Daily. All right, so the last word goes to a man we have brought on many times over the years to talk Minnesota Vikings football, Sam Monson of Pro Football Focus. What is up, Sam? Doing good. How about you? Oh, man. I am. Uh, I figured out which meme I am today. The SpongeBob oh, yeah. one where he's sort of leaning on something and he's just going like, <sighs> you know, he sort of looks exhausted and... Um, and that's me. I mean, Friday before a playoff game, and then we get a vote of confidence from ownership today on Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman, which means nothing, but it's interesting that they put it out there. And then we have two cornerbacks injured that we didn't expect, Sam. Everything is happening. Yeah, and the latter one in particular looks like it could be a real problem heading into the weekend against the Saints. Yeah, I know. I I was thinking about earlier in the week when I saw Alexander wasn't practicing. Like, okay, that could be a problem. He's actually turned out to be a pretty decent player as a slot corner. But the Hughes thing came out of nowhere today, and they put him on injured reserve, so he can't come back at any point in the playoffs. And not having those two guys, now you can't rotate the cornerbacks. And guess who it comes down to? Xavier Rhodes and Michael Thomas. Um, what way would you describe the mismatch at the point uh, that those two guys are in their careers? Yeah, I mean, that's a huge mismatch. But the other thing is that the Saints like to put Michael Thomas in the slot a ton. Um, he actually leads the NFL in yards per route run from the slot. And now the Vikings don't really have any slot corners. So it, it was already a, a pretty significant mismatch when you look at it in terms of how they're, they're going to cover this guy. And it's even bigger if they, if they use him in the slot as much as they like to typically. The Vikings just really don't have anyone that can match up with them. It's that it's pretty concerning on paper. Well, and not only that, but the key on defense to even being respectable this year has been that you have Daniil Hunter getting a ton of pressure, and until recently, toward the end of the season, Everson Griffin doing the same thing. But this is a quarterback in Drew Brees who, according to your stats, PFF, gets rid of the ball quicker than anyone else in the NFL and has only been sacked 12 times in 11 games this entire year. I mean, this is looking like, Sam, if they don't have the A-plus version of Kirk Cousins... 
that they don't have much of a shot in this game because no matter what they scheme up, it's really hard to see them just shutting down Drew Brees and that offense in that building. Yeah, I agree. Like it's it's like a double whammy with the Saints offense because that offensive line is really good in terms of pass protection. Plus, Drew Brees gets rid of the ball faster than almost anybody. Has a really low average depth of target. Just likes to carve up zone defenses. Um, so yeah, I, I don't really see how they slow that down consistently, particularly with the guys they've got missing now in the secondary. They're going to need turnovers, I think. And then, yeah, I'm with you. I think that basically puts the pressure firmly on the shoulders of Kirk Cousins and means that they're going to need to keep pace with Drew Brees and this New Orleans offense in the dome. And, you know, he's going to need to hit all of those deep shots that do open up. You know, you can't be off anytime you see a Thielen or a, a Stephon Diggs running behind the defense. You need to make that connection because you're going to be chasing points and chasing possessions. Is there anything that you make, Sam, of how a team or an offense or a defense has been playing in the second half of the year, in the final four weeks of the year, or whatever, that would be predictive of how they might play in the playoffs? Because um, Kirk Cousins is coming off just about as bad of a game as you could play against the Green Bay Packers two weeks ago on Monday Night Football. And even his performances otherwise have not been in the special ballpark that they were in October. The second half of the season has been pretty pedestrian for him do the numbers point to that you can find that at any time that it exists, or uh, does it say, look, if you're playing this way, then you might struggle when you get to the postseason? Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately it's just small sample sizes, and the, there's a lot of noise with that. I mean, even if you look at his season, it's really a spectacular sort of four or five game stretch, and then, you know, good to, to average the rest of the time outside of the one horrendous game right at the start of the year, which got everybody kind of talking about, you know, Stefan Diggs trade rumors and all that kind of crazy stuff. So, you know, I, I think Kirk Cousins hasn't been as good down the stretch as he was during that crazy five-game stretch, but that's because that stretch was the outlier, not necessarily his play down down the, uh, the back end of the season. You know, I think ultimately Cousins has been playing well this season. He's been playing above his typical baseline of what you expect from him, but they do need him to have one of his better games because the offense is going to have to score a lot of points going up against a Saints team that's almost certainly going to do likewise. So I've come to believe after covering two full seasons of Kirk Cousins in the good Kirk, bad Kirk, and I think I can spot it after two series and sometimes one series. <laughs> do you buy? I mean, do you buy into this being a thing? Because I don't believe in the national TV thing. Because I've been in the building where he's played just fine in national TV. But when I was in Kansas City and his first throw to Adam Thielen hit Thielen in the shoes when he was wide open, like, uh-oh, it's one of those games. And it was. And the same thing for Monday night, overthrows C.J. Ham in the red zone. Like, this is, this is not going to be good for Cousins. I, I don't know if you felt the same way about him, but when the good version shows up, he leads a team right down the field to start a game and looks like he's he's right in rhythm and has confidence. And if there's a such thing in this world as momentum, he's got it sometimes. And uh, yeah, I, I just don't know how to figure out when we're going to see it and when we're not. Yeah, I mean, I think he's definitely a quarterback that that needs confidence more than some of these other guys. I don't think he reacts particularly well to adversity. And if you do get Kirk Cousins in rhythm early in the game, I think you have a much better chance. And if you don't, you know, the last Green Bay game, I find it a little bit difficult to put too much blame on Kirk Cousins. He definitely didn't play well, 
but the offensive line got absolutely wrecked in that game. And ultimately, if your offensive line gets beaten that badly in a game, the, the quarterback needs to play absolutely out of his mind to be able to overcome that kind of performance. And, you know, with the best will in the world, Kirk Cousins just doesn't have that in him very often. And, and not many quarterbacks do, to be fair. So, you know, I, I think it's definitely true that, that they could use Kirk Cousins getting off to a hot start. But maybe the bigger thing is they could also use that offensive line holding up its end of the bargain against a pretty stout New Orleans defensive front. Now, what do you think, Sam, of just one game carrying a lot of weight with an ownership? Uh, because I think this one does. And as an analytics fan, I look at one game and say, well, anything can happen. That doesn't really seem like a great model for doing it. But this is also the NFL. And you're also looking at a team that could go two years after signing Kirk Cousins with zero playoff wins. And that is not what the ownership paid for. Do you think that it would make sense if they came up well short in New Orleans for the Vikings to make major changes, to make a coaching change, to draft a quarterback in the first round, trade up, do something like what Kansas City did with Patrick Mahomes. I mean, does all of that make sense? Or would you say, like, look, if you're in this good of a position as a franchise to be in it all the time under Mike Zimmer, you should want to be there? I mean, I don't think one game should be making those decisions, whatever happens. Um, I think that doesn't mean you don't need to make those decisions, but you need to weigh it on the, the, the balance of what's actually happening. So, you know, the quarterback spot in particular, I think you can definitely make an argument that you draft the quarterback in the first round, that you, you know, you make significant moves to change what's happening at that position because, you know, Kirk Cousins, this is the, this is the ceiling of Kirk Cousins this season, and it's still, it still probably isn't going to be enough to overcome what's around him if they don't play out of their minds and you know it's it's only going to cost more to get the guy even again once this contract is up so i think you can definitely make the argument that you need to make those kind of moves the the changing coaching i find a, a much tougher sell because they are competitive every single year they have done a lot of good things um and you know i don't think one game should be making that decision for you ultimately you look at what the guy's done you look at where this team is headed and you, you decide if, if he's the guy for the future. But, you know, New Orleans were fighting for the number one seed in, in week 17. This is one of the best teams in the NFL, certainly in the NFC. I don't expect the Vikings to win. And honestly, I think it could be the, the biggest sort of points, the, the biggest score differential of the, of the weekend. So, you know, if you look at that and you say, well, they came up short in the playoffs once again, sure, but they're also facing what could be the best team in the NFL. And on the road, you know, it, it was a tough spot for them to go in and expect anything from. Yeah, I just I wonder about, you know, the, where can you go from here, which is the question that they'll be asking. I mean, yeah, you don't have as strong of a team as New Orleans, but the point was when you signed Kirk Cousins and paid everybody else, and some moves were erroneous probably, um, certain contracts that were signed, but you, know, you pay everybody else. If you're in ownership, you asked for playoff wins. You asked to be relevant at the end, not the team that we're going into and saying, yeah, they'll probably get beat by the most of anybody else this weekend. I mean, that's just not what you, the expectation where the bar was set now. I might say the moment you signed Kirk Cousins, you signed up for 10 and 6, and that's kind of where you were going to be. Um, but they're in a really tough position to say, how do you get from 10 and 6 back to 13 and 3 or, or, or deep into the playoffs to beat teams with better quarterbacks than you? Yeah, and ultimately a lot of that rests on, you know, hitting on a couple of drafts. I mean, you look at. 
basically, if you're going to have Kirk Cousins at your as your quarterback, you're going to need a top five roster in the NFL to be one of those dominant teams. And right now, they're not. You know, they had a fantastic defense in 2017. It's taken steps backwards. Even now, there are guys having uh, career years, but there are too many holes. Right now, there's no viable number one cornerback on this team, and cornerbacks have never been more important. So, you know, you can't expect to have a top top quality defense if you don't have number one corner capable of shutting down the best receivers in the NFL every single week. Um, you know, up front, they've got great production out of Danelle Hunter and Everson Griffin, but the interior isn't the force it once was. So, you know, there's a lot of things you can improve on this team, even if you don't touch the quarterback or, or the coach. Um, I think ultimately they need to focus on what gives them the best chance of creating this top five roster. And maybe that does involve some changes um, in the organizational structure, but ultimately they're not a million miles away from that right now. They mm-hmm. just need to do a little bit better across the board and identify some of these problems and fix them. Sam, I've I've had this as a close game in my mind all week. That kind of changed a little bit today, but I'm just going to roll with it. I mean, the two corners being out, yikes. But I'm just going to stick with it that I think it ends up being an offensive shootout that Drew Brees comes out on top at the end. How are you seeing this one? Yeah, well, even before the cornerbacks were down, I, I thought this was going to be tough sledding for the Vikings, and I even more so now. I just, I honestly think the Saints are arguably the best team in the NFL, and the Vikings aren't. So they're going to struggle, I think, to deal with a team of that quality on the road. Uh, but other than that, though, everything is fine. Um, and let me just ask you, yeah. what's, you know, it's, it's all good. Uh, let me just ask you, though, uh, what's the most interesting other game? Um, aside from Vikings and Saints? Honestly, I think all four games this weekend are interesting. Um, I could definitely see, I mean, Philadelphia winning at home would be an upset, and I think that's definitely on the cards. Um, the Titans winning on the road in New England would be an upset, and I think that's on the cards as well. And then Buffalo against Houston is just a sort of fascinating matchup, whether it's you know quarterback against quarterback, whether it's Davis White against New Hopkins. I think there should be four good games. I think Ryan Tannehill's probably the best quarterback ever, so uh, that's the one I'm most interested in, is seeing the greatest quarterback of all time and then Tom Brady. See what I did there? Yeah. Okay. I mean, the other, <laughs> it's the other crazy that he Tannehill led the league in quarterback rating. Going. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Ryan Tannehill has been playing at this level, and we've expected the wheels to fall off, and they haven't yet. Um, but he's going to go up against uh, you know an all-time game-planning, defensive-minded coach. So he's going to face challenges that he hasn't so far this season. But yeah, like on paper, heading into this heading into this game, he has been dramatically the better quarterback. Yeah, that's the one that I'm most most interested in because uh, we'll see if their headsets go out or whatever else you know crazy things tend to happen in New England, and then if Tannehill can keep it up and uh, Vrabel beating Belichick would be really something. So Sam, uh, it's been great to have you on all year. We will see if this sort of continues. I mean, I, you know, obviously um, we'll we'll continue to have you on, but whether our season includes previewing more games, so we'll know that soon. Uh, but I appreciate all uh, you know all the times you've come on all the fun we've had this year. So uh, thanks for coming on again, man. Anytime. Take it easy, guys. Yep. Follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Sam and uh, make sure you go to PFF.com. You can be, um, become a member to look at the grades. You can get even more of the data that we use here every day. Just go PFF.com. So, all right, we got about four minutes left in the show. This has been a very, very long week. 
and really fun leading up to the playoffs. There's just nothing like it. Like when did you really think today would happen of this week? No, this week? I did not think we would get a statement from ownership. Like <laughs> Vikings, it did not feel like one of those weeks that we were going to get a vote of confidence statement. It's just you know, when I was driving out to TCO Performance Center today, I was like, mm, you know, I don't, you know, kind of covered everything mm-hmm. this week, and I don't expect Zimmer to say much, and I don't really even have a plan to talk with too many people in the locker room or anything, and they've kind of all said what they're going to say. And then Mike Hughes is all of a sudden out. (laughs) Okay. I had no idea that was going to happen. A random guy is out on Friday is always a big surprise. And I did not expect to see national reporters talking about this idea with Zimmer being traded to Dallas as a real thing. And Courtney Cronin on the, her Twitter has sort of wondered aloud if this is trying to pump up the trade value mm-hmm. for Zimmer, saying, we have no intent to trade him. Oh, a second and a third? <laughs> well, then, I mean, we didn't intend to trade him, but we didn't say we wouldn't. And trades for coaches do happen every so often when a guy's... When was the last one? Was it Gruden? Uh, it was Gruden, I think. Okay. Herm Edwards got traded, I want to say Belichick did, from the Jets to New England. I think was Wasn't how he, where he got there. He was probably. briefly the Jets coach, but never coached a game with the Jets, if that makes sense. There's an article yeah. about it on ESPN. It's weird. Uh, but it does happen. The right. coaches get traded. And if there was any situation for that to happen, it would be right now. Because he's under contract for another year, so it would be having to get him out of that. It's not like they're going to fire him if someone else wants to hire him. They're going to try and get a draft pick out of it. Mm-hmm. But it's also just been... Super weird to have this season be where this is a top 10 team in points for and points against, and they've run some teams out of the building and looked like a legitimate contender at a lot of times. I mean, I'm in Los Angeles watching them just murder a Chargers team that beat the Packers and saying, well, okay, all right, we're going to the playoffs, and now it gets real, and maybe they'll be this seed or that seed that... The conversation switched so fast with that Green Bay game, and I totally believe the reporters who are putting it out there, because we've heard some of the same rumblings, that this game does carry a lot, and it is body of work, for sure. It's not doing it all on one game, but it feels like it, and that has built up this game so much and made for a wild week of conversations that I thought we were going to be more focused on this lineup versus that lineup and everything else. And it's turned into something different, but it usually does. You know, might, Minnesota Vikings. you know what adds a little bit more intrigue to this whole Zimmer to Dallas possibility? Dallas comes here next year. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Imagine yeah. that reaction if Zimmer versus Zimmer Stefanski potentially. Yeah. Yeah, the Stefanski thing has really made this interesting, too, because if you're the Wilfs, you've got to be aware of the fact that when you have an offensive coach and they're really good, that they can keep you at a certain level. Mm -hmm. And Sean Payton and Drew Brees are a good example of this, that they never dip on offense. When they're bad, they're great. When the Vikings offense dips, like last year, they're terrible. And you miss the playoffs, and then you're talking about people getting fired and that's the disadvantage of having a defensive head coach is that you're often changing your offensive minds. And you know, even with New England, they've had Josh McDaniels there for a really long time. Mm-hmm. So you've had the same voice, the same offense, the continuity. You heard Sam Bradford talk about yesterday how hard that is changing offenses all the time. And then it's Kirk, man. 
It's all on him. It really is. It's all the defense is not going to be great. You got Delvin back. You got your receivers back. The pressure is entirely on the quarterback position. The Saints probably don't just maul your offensive line. You're going to have chances to make plays. And guess what? Stunner here. The season comes down to the quarterback. It feels like one of those things we'll learn within the first couple drives what's going to happen. Uh, yeah, definitely. So I'm going to jump on a plane tomorrow. I will be in Safe New travels. Orleans. And uh, if you listen to the Purple Podcast through our um, podcast feed, I'll be doing a podcast right after the game with Judd. So you'll want to look for that. And uh, you've all been wonderful, as always. And appreciate everybody who's contributed, and especially you guys, for half the week, Jonathan. Mackie and Judd with Rami, coming up next. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts.